What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 19 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, as always, is Mr. Mike Dawson. He'll be joining us shortly. In this week's episode, we have a ton of stuff to get to, including a little bit of news. Is Mr. Neil Peart retired, or is he not retired? Let's find out. We're also going to do some shop talk and talk about custom-molded in-ear monitors. In our featured artist section, we'll talk about Mr. Zach Danzinger. In our gear review section, we'll check out the Amita Comagene series, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. Damn, Comagene was hard to say. Bam, episode 19. We are one away from 20, buddy. Can you believe it? Feels like it went pretty quick, didn't it? Yeah, you know, it's funny because most people probably don't know the, uh, the, I guess, the genesis of this podcast, but it all really started at NAM 2014, or no, NAM 2015, right? In yeah, January. This year. Yep. Yeah, so it was almost one year ago right now that you and I and the the fine folks of MD sat down at our nice steak dinner. Uh, I don't think I had steak, but I know it was a nice steak dinner. I think I had some halibut, but and we uh, discussed, you know, ways to kind of bring Modern Drummer to the masses, especially to the uh, to, to the digital world. And this podcast was one of the ideas, and uh, so it's it's been a real pleasure to do this with you, man. Yeah, it took a while to get us going, but now we're kind of on a roll. So I'm feeling it's like my week would be incomplete if we didn't have one, which is cool. Yeah, well, that's what's so weird is I'm saying this because uh, I just I'm kind of done. So, anyways, <laughs> carry the torch, nice homie. Knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> Rocket, I got to go. I'm a 20 episode kind of guy, and then I gotta go. Actually, uh, today is lesson 1,161 on MikesLessons.com. So I, I'm in for the long haul bro. wow when do you just yeah. restart that counter jeez <laughs> when do you just like just tnt the whole thing and blow it all up <laughs> uh january is probably when something's gonna be very different yeah, so all right cool. um yeah it's definitely i think it's run its course on its current uh version and it's time to take online education much further than it than it is at the moment and i, I don't mean for just drums i just mean in general i'm currently signed up for Coursera, Khan Academy, Lynda.com, every online course that you could take, I'm taking a course of some sort or some subject from all the different companies, and there's a huge, huge weakness in all of it, and I want to fix that for my students, because I know that if I can fix it for my students, then that will get you know, borrowed from other companies and they will, and it'll be fixed for online education in general. So that's exciting. Cool. Yeah. So we'll talk about it as it gets closer, but, uh, how's the weather buddy? Have you guys had, I don't know when the winter starts there. Has it started? I mean, it's getting, it's definitely cold. I'm having to wear three or four layers of, of jackets to walk my dogs in the morning, but I mean, I'm I'm not going to complain because this time last year we are, I think we had like a couple inches of snow on the ground already. Wow. So it's been dry and, and relatively mild so far. Nice. Well, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. I'm Talk to me in weak. about six weeks, and I'll be hating. My back will be hurting and all that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think I picked a perfect time for uh, myself, JP, and Matt to come there for the Common Thread <laughs> Drum Camp in February. <laughs> you better bring some boots, I'm telling you. <laughs> Dude, I don't even own boots, bro. You know that like here where I live, anything with long sleeves is called a jacket. <laughs> like that's a jacket. You have sleeves that go past your elbows. That's a jacket. Yeah, well, hey, man, you, you need a I, coat. You know, the one thing that's great is, you know, when we do our summer drum camps here at my place, you know, it's summer. It's California. Our our facility is literally on the river. We're on the bank of the American River. And it's really hard to keep the students interested in drumming when there's like, you know, especially if they come from a place that's always cold and has snow and they're like, oh, I'm in California. Um, so I think I think uh, I think the Half Moon Resort, I think that's what or Full Moon Resort yeah. where we're holding the drum camp, uh, which, by the way, just uh, I just got word from JP that it's officially sold out now. So we have 30 students coming to that. So that Great. should be fun. Uh, but anyways, that's um, I, I think there won't be any distractions because it's like, well, you can go outside and warm up if you want, but you'll <laughs> die. So yeah, yeah, you might not live. And so, I mean, we hadn't talked about it anymore, but did you still want me to try to get over there for a day? I, I think that would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, we only have three days. So we obviously we want to maximize their exposure to myself, Matt and JP, as far as whatever they've spent a lot of money to get in their questions and to ask us anything. But I think most importantly, there's just going to be kind of there's something that you have that you know, JP, Matt, and my, uh, myself don't have. And so I think that would be amazing. So I'll talk to JP today. We're we're just kind of finalizing all of the details and making sure that the ed- education is all set in stone. You know, cool. I don't want this to be the kind of thing where they show up and 
the three of us appear to be winging it. You know, I want to yeah. make sure that every minute is really planned out for these guys and they get the the best experience possible. But I think it'd be great to have you in there and just, you know, just more than anything, just to hang for, for a day of it and see what we're doing. Yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, and then open it up for some Q and a cool. Yeah. If it's the yeah, end of so, the day, whatever, so. we'll talk later. Cool, man. Sounds good. Well, let's get into some news. Uh, it seems a little bit of odd timing that last last week's podcast, our uh, cover artist was Mr. Neil Peart, and we talked about him uh, at length, and he's on the current cover, the January issue of Modern Drummer Magazine. And then the news gets broken all over the world that he is officially retired, and I actually even saw it as uh, recent as today on Yahoo's homepage legendary rush drummer neil peart calls it quits so man yeah and then and and i think you know our texts back and forth back and forth alluded to the fact that it may not be quite that simple so is there anything that you can share uh no and that's kind of what makes me annoyed at the entire music journalism world right now the words i'm i have retired have not come out of neil peart's mouth what he was, it, it, I mean, maybe maybe there's more to the story. And even Getty Lee is, is chimed in and saying, "Whoa, everybody, chill out." Neil did not say he's retiring. What what it was was he was having a conversation about you know Rush just finished. They're they're done for the you know essentially they're not going to do major tours anymore. And he was just telling a story uh, about how his daughter introduces him as like a former rock drummer or something like that. Got it. Because they so finished. He's going to take a f- yeah. He's going to take a few years off and 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 reevaluate what he wants to do with his life. But he was just pontificating on the, at the idea of sometime there comes a some certain point in your life when you have to say I'm done. Right. He didn't say today is that day. Right. So, so it's a classic it's a case of the internet just going crazy and taking stuff way out of context. I mean, it's almost like if I you and I were talking about Vinny Cayuta. And I played you this one fill that he did on a John Patitucci record, and you're like, oh, that's it, I quit. And then the headlines <laughs> are, Mike Johnson says, I quit. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, totally. Well, they could, yeah, I mean, the headline can be, you know, you and I have said some things that in one sentence form, you know, it's like, oh, JoJo Mayer is crazy. And <laughs> right. then in print, it's like, Mike Johnson says, JoJo Mayer is insane, literally. <laughs> right. It's like, no, he's not crazy. He's cra- Never mind. Yeah. Well, I will tell you this. Yahoo gave uh, Modern Drummer some love because it says, Peart was in- inducted into the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame in 1983, and according to the publication, it's the youngest drummer to ever receive this honor. Really? So, wow. Yeah. MD on, on Yahoo.com. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the f- that's why you haven't seen us make any mention of it at all because we just we haven't heard officially, and I think it's it's kind of uncool for for uh actual journalistic sources to be spreading this information clearly just to get people to check out their websites yes. and their magazines and stuff and it's it's just uncool and it's, it's part you know of the what? reason why neil hates to talk to the media he's <laughs> like look what happens i give you an honest interview i open up about my daughter i open up about my tour and boom now i've officially retired yeah now now i'm done and like it's almost like people are writing obituaries it's like come on man right I mean, give the guy a couple years to, like, figure out what he wants to do. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't imagine – I mean, I think, you know, there's such a difference between somebody casually saying, look, I am taking a break, and then what happened with Phil Collins where he said, look, I physically cannot hold drumsticks in my hands. I've had some operations. That's a totally different form of retiring. You know, I cannot play the drum set. Um, And, 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 you know – it, every couple of weeks you get a new story like Phil's back. Genesis is, you know, just launched yeah. a 400 date tour or whatever. So, you know, take it easy. And, and this, you know, I'm, I'm a huge sports radio fan. This is, this is complete like sports radio journalism where it's all about clicks. You yeah. know, if, if your website is suffering, you need to launch a poll right now about Tim Tebow and you will get clicks, even yeah. though he's not even on a <laughs> roster anywhere, he's going to get clicks. And I, I feel kind of the same where, when this story was launched and where it came from was just a, a you know something where it's like hey let's just go with it it'll cause a lot of attention and and we'll deal we'll deal with the cleanup later and i that's yeah. there's you know you and i have talked about um different sources and the reason why i've always chosen to associate myself with modern drummer was just because of the way you guys handle your business and how how exactly what you said the reason we haven't commented on the neil thing is because we don't have all the information that's yeah 
Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? I mean, it, it's it's sad because you see it on mainstream news, uh, all the channels. They'll they'll put a headline out, and then an hour later they'll say, "Oh, sorry, that's that was the wrong headline. Here's here's a little bit more data about it." And then, "Oh, sorry, that wasn't right either. Here's a little bit more." So they're all just racing to be first, and and it's, right. it ends up being very dangerous. I mean, if I was Neil Peart and I saw headlines and people like writing essentially eulogies for me, that, that's soul crushing. You know, that's unfair to him. Yeah. Like maybe he wants to stop playing drums and play for a couple of years, and then he's going to – maybe it's just talking about Rush, and we just don't know. Right. We just don't know. And he is yeah. at a point in his life when he has to decide what's next. But right. for people just to start going nuts – and I mean, it went, it went viral. I mean, obviously, Yahoo picked it up. I mean, did, they, right. did they research that story? Yeah, no. Uh, well, what they did was they linked to another source um, – which is called Digital Trends. So really, Yahoo picked up the Digital Trends story and just um, took their kind of splash image and put it on their stuff. Um, and pretty much that's – they said what you said. So it says um, – uh, let's see. Neil Peart, uh, held by many as greatest rock drummer of all time, told a magazine that it's uh, – it's unclear or that he's retired that he's a retired drummer in quotes and then it says it's unclear if this means that he's only retiring from performing shows or if he's entirely done with recording and performing with the band it's known that Peart has suffered from chronic tendonitis um and then it and then it talks about the daughter thing so it, it kind of says everything you said but still still the, the headline the please click on this is legendary rush drummer neil peart calls it quits yeah that's ugly and then once you get into and and that's the same as sports it's like you know tim tebow is on the jets and then you you read into it and it's like water boy and you're like wait <laughs> he's not on the jets he's the water boy stop it you know it's yeah so the headlines are all about clicks and we get that but at the same time you know you have to be careful cuz like you said you're dealing with somebody's life can you imagine neil's inbox right now yeah. yeah. And everybody's like, hey, man, thanks for all the inspiration. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm headed down to the practice space right now. I've got like 10 records I'm going to do in the next five years. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So I think everybody just needs to slow down. Wait till you see a statement from Neil himself. And, and I mean, when somebody like Neil Peart retires, they make the announcement. They hold the press conference. They make the statement. They don't just casually mention it to Bill's Drum Magazine yeah. and be like, yeah, I'm retired. I, I won't mean, call Modern Drummer. <laughs> and does, does any drummer really retire unless your body just won't work right. anymore? Exactly. I mean, why would you ever do that? You, you always play no. drums. You might not play drums in your particular band. You might not want to tour. But you always play drums. Well, and, and the fact that it says Neil retires, not Rush is retiring. Can you imagine how many, you know, videos must have been sent to Rush's management? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. <laughs> I can play every note of every song you've ever. There's some Neil freaks out there. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like I bought his kit for twenty five thousand dollars in 1986. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Take me on the road. So, I mean, it, it must have just caused a complete nightmare for every ounce of the Rush, you know, uh business structure yeah way to go Goodness. music journalism <laughs> all right <laughs> well let's get out of the gutters and get into the stuff we love some shop talk so uh today we have two things that we're going to talk about and both of them came via twitter so frank west one of our listeners via twitter just asked hey can you guys talk about in-ear monitors and custom molds and i think that's a very applicable thing to drummers nowadays you're able to get amazing monitoring like you could with headphones back in the day but you also get great ear protection which i think is really important um i i personally use um ultimate ears i'm not endorsed by them i bought mine god five six years ago i have the ue4 pros they are the cheapest the ultimate ear makes they're 400 bucks i know that probably doesn't sound cheap to people that have never bought in ears but trust me when it comes to custom molds four hundred dollars is very affordable but i have the same ones that i got five or six years ago i've had to change the cables a couple times but i've never had to do anything with the ears and i use them primarily as as hearing protection they are you know i use them on every flight that i go on they're with me all the time they come in a nice custom case and the one thing that i love about ultimate ears once again i'm not endorsed by them I, i'm not sure if all companies do this i only know this about ultimate ears but they keep your impressions on file meaning once you send your in-ear impressions to them they keep your molds forever so and what happened to me was about three years ago my puppy juno ate my left in-ear oh. and 
Yeah, and it was really awesome to call Ultimate Ears and just say, hey, can you send me another left? Now, you have to pay for it, of course, but I didn't have to go to the audiologist and get the goo stuck in my ear. They just said, yeah, we have your ears on file. We'll send you another left. And that was really, really cool. So like I said, I don't know if West Tone does that or if 1964 does that. Maybe they all do, but I know that Ultimate Ears does. So I used custom molds. I used the non-custom molded uh, Shures, kind of the top of the line Shures back in the day when I was touring. What about you? Do you use in-ears when you play live or when you practice? I do. um, Both. I have have custom molds and non-custom molds. Uh, I use the custom molds. Um, I have Gorilla Ears is the company that I got mine from. Okay. They're great. And I use them with uh, my electronic band because I'm firing a lot of samples and, and loops and stuff. But I only use it in one ear because mm. I still need yep. to monitor the rest of the band with yeah. my other ear. So I usually have it in my, my left side ear so that I'm getting hearing protection from the monitor. But I'm also – so I'm getting the band's mix in the monitor and I'm getting just my electronics in my in-ear. Nice. Uh, so – and I only do one ear because if I put them both in, it removes me from the the band entirely. So I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. One bit of advice would be if you're going if you want to use two in ears and the custom old ones, I mean they're going to almost silence the room. You might want to get a little mixing board and take a like a just a cheap microphone. So you run your in ears into that, and then the microphones you can dial in just a little bit of room sound. I do that for all my clinics. Oh, yeah. I always, yeah, I, I have this dented up. Actually, do you remember early, early in our podcast, I was mentioning, I think it was one of my picks of the week. It was the uh, MXL V250 room mic. It was like 50 bucks on yeah. Musician's Friend. So I have, it's so dented up because it stays in my cymbal bag. But yeah, that's exactly what I do. I bring my own little personal mixing board. I take a line out, whatever they're going to send to the monitor, that goes to my little personal three channel mixer. I put their line of, of my monitor mix in, and then I also put my one mic up, which is that that kind of room mic, and that that just gives me the breath of the room, at, yeah. you know, so I can hear things. And then the other thing is, you know, and, and even um, Ultimate Ears, they offer one of their like I can't remember which one it is, but one of their high end in ears, they offer it as a single in ear, so oh, it doesn't really? come with the left huh. um, or it doesn't come with the right, and it's actually more for singers. Interesting. Um, and then their really high end stuff has a like an attenuation switch or not an it has like a filter that you can actually let the room noise into the in ears. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, that's so. crucial. And I've I've used the this the regular fit ones uh, mainly in the studio because I don't have to worry about them falling out. I I tried them on on stage a couple of times, and as soon as you start sweating, they'll just work their way out. Yeah, the the non custom molds. Yeah, yeah. So if you're not, you know, if you're not careful, they'll a couple times when I didn't have a monitor wedge and it was just all in ears and they both just poured out my ears and then it was like I was playing, I was miming for for a couple minutes until right. I could get yeah, them back yeah. in. Yeah, no, that's that's tough. I mean, I I think sound quality wise, if you have some really top end non custom molded in ears, you can get a great sound. Um, you know, I, I would tell you guys this. As drummers, it depends. If you're using it mostly for drums, the cheaper ones aren't necessarily bad. I have, like I said, I have the cheapest ones they make, which would be considered dual drivers, $400. And it's the dual driver is kind of what I want. Like, I don't need a third driver for mids because I'm not listening for guitar and vocals. I'm playing drum set. That yeah. third driver is actually the frequencies that I'd be cutting out of my mix anyways. So if you're just playing drums, if you're just listening to movies on an airplane, it's more than enough. Because, I mean, you can get into, you know, the really, really nice in-ears from Ultimate Ears, you know, can be up to $2,000. Um, but I think yeah. at that point, it's getting a little silly. You don't need all of that. So, um, and then, you know, I guess maybe I should ask you, but at NAM, have you ever been to any of the booths like 1964? I know 1964 is usually right next to you guys, right? They were last year, yeah, and they, they definitely had... More than a few press events where it was just a melee of people. Yeah, it was nuts. I don't know what they were doing. They were just giving out, like, I think they were just giving away samples of the Universal Fits or something. Something was happening. They, I mean, they were pouring into our booth for sure. (laughs) So have you ever tried, like, when they try to say, okay, here's the audio components that are going into the, you know, the 1964 double whammy in your monitor <laughs> but then they put it in that universal fit thing like yeah. i tried that at the ultimate ears booth and i was like i don't I, this is not working for me like it seems kind of weird that like something can be 1300 1400 but you can't ever try it out you just have to hope these are going to be great because yeah. people tell me they are 
you know? Yeah, I mean, I think from the, comparing the you know the four or the three hundred dollar universal fits with the custom ones, which I think the ones I got were about eight hundred lists or something like that. Okay. Uh, what I notice more than anything is just clarity because the the mids will just distort on the on the cheaper ones. So you're just not getting like if the if the mix is really dense, you're not gonna you're almost not gonna be able to discern attacks from the different instruments. So I've noticed that like when I'm when I'm recording, I like the in ears because it's really clear. I can hear the, the acoustic guitars, the you know the pick scraping the strings. It's really clear so that I can lock in with it. Um, you know, you get a little bit more a tighter low end, so it's not just yeah. wolfing your ears. Yeah, um, and I, I just think the hearing protection part is so important too because if you think about having headphones on to compete with a drum set, you're going to have to turn them up to you know eight, nine, or ten. They're going to be blazing in your ears. Where once you put in custom molded in ears, since you're essentially deaf with them in, I have the volume at two, which is more than loud enough, you know. Yeah. And so I'm protecting my ears on lo- my ears on lots of levels. So I, they're very important to me. Like I said, and then you just if you want, you just take the cables off and wear them as as earplugs if you're at a concert yeah. you know and i have the clear ones so they don't look silly and and the best thing ever for having musician level custom molded in-ears is plane flights i love yeah. when a baby sits next to me and starts <laughs> to cry i'm like jack it up kid let's see what you, i'll give you a dollar if you can cry loud enough to bother me because i got my custom molds i'm all good you know there's <laughs> and, been there's been studies about uh you know how you, like you just start to feel exhausted after you fly uh-huh. and there's been studies that it's mostly noise pollution that causes that because really? you don't I mean that the volume of these engines is really high. It's it's yeah, higher than I, don't I mean it's it. almost damaging level of sound. You just get used to it. Yeah, I know that even when I'm not listening, because I, I usually use it for movies or podcasts or whatever, but even when the movie's over, I leave the in ears in and fall asleep with no sound at all. I just use them as earplugs. So yeah. I think they're definitely worth it. Now you had something else from Twitter, I think, for about a snare drum? Uh, actually, I came into the, the general Modern Drummer Info email, okay. but it was related to the podcast. Um, I guess he was he was asking about the snare drum demos, the audio demos. And and who was it? Uh, his name is Larry Johnson. Larry Johnson. And he's asking, when you use multiple tunings for snare drums in the reviews, are you also adjusting the resonant head? And the same question applies to the toms and kick. Uh, he's mainly asking about the snare. So a quick my quick snare drum philosophy is I start with the drum tuned medium, like top head. I get the top head to like a, a tension that I can get a good buzz roll, but it's not so tight that I lose all the tone. So that usually ends up being, if you have a drum dial, it's like 85, 84, somewhere around there. Uh, and then from that point, I get the pitch of the batter head, and then I take the bottom head up a perfect fourth above that. That's like my, my that's every snare drum gets starts there. That's how, That's my medium tuning. It usually works in in almost all situations. It ends up being where the the bottom head is somewhere around a, between an F sharp and an A. Right. In I'm just going to agree with you since I have no <laughs> so idea what you're talking anyway. about. Yeah. So you get the top <laughs> head to a medium tension that feels good and it's not choking, and then you tune the bottom head up a perfect fourth from there. From that point on, I don't touch the bottom head unless something cues me that I need to mess with it, which usually means if if I'm trying to go super low. And it just the drum just sounds like it's not it's not giving me that bottom end that I need. Then I might take the bottom head down a, a turn or so. But in general, the bottom head gets tuned to that medium spot, and I don't touch it. It stays there. And the, yeah. with toms, it's it's not the case at all. Toms and bass drum. Uh, I like to tune the top and bottom head of the toms to the exact same pitch, so then everything moves up and down relative to one another. Yeah. Bass drum, the front head. I mean, it can be the same pitch, it can be a little bit higher, it can be a little bit lower, just depending on what the drum wants to do and what kind of sound I want to go for. But then once I get that set, I adjust them relative to one another. Yeah. So snare drum, I don't touch the bottom head. Toms and kick drum, both, all, you know, all the heads move in unison. Yeah, I, I'm, I would say I'm the same. And the kick drum is probably the only one that I love being able to use two people to tune. When I get the feel of the batter head and the tone the way I want it, I love being able to put somebody else on the drum and then I can go out to the rezzo head and tune from there because it's such a huge distance from the the batter head to the rezzo head that I, I actually do want to hear it. It's projecting forward so much. I want to hear it from the front of the drum set. Yeah. And so it's great to be at a clinic and say, you know, hey, can you just 
play the bass drum for me and then i just can tune the the rezzo head from there but yeah i'm the same and i I tune my heads probably the same as you uh toms top and bottom i get the most resonance out of tuning them to the same pitch and uh you know and then the snare thing for me the snare has always been a thumb thing i push my thumb into it and i know how tight it's supposed to be the bottom head yeah 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 i just feel it um I mean, that's really it. Um, and then I, it's the exact same thing as you where I'm like, God, my snare is so pingy today, but I know it's not my top head. My top head's where it always is. So then I'll back off the bottom head a little bit, but it's always based off of sound. And that's one thing I think all of our listeners need to understand when it comes to gear. One of the biggest questions I get about heads has always, when should I change my heads? And to me, it's like in a day, if they sound bad, in a year if they don't like yeah. it's all based on the sound like there's there will come a day i mean you know i remember uh we had a we have a, j- a great jazz drummer here in town named tim metz and we were working on this project together for aquarian and chris brady at aquarian said hey i want to make sure you guys you know get some heads for for all this help you did and tim was like oh i'm good man and and so he's turning down free heads because he's like, yeah, man, I've, I've had my Aquarians on for three years and, and they just really hit their stride. <laughs> but he's a he's a legit jazz player. You know, he went to school with Mark Juliana and uh, uh, and uh, Josh Dion and stuff. Yeah. He went to William Patterson in Jersey. And so. Uh, so, yeah. So he, and Chris, you know, was looking at him like, dude, I'm giving you free heads. And Tim's like, man, I've, I've got another three or four years. <laughs> you know, I, I would be if you took if you changed my heads out without me knowing it so so yeah so it's all about sound you know you should um you know i did change the tuning and you should change the heads when they sound like they don't do what you want them to do yeah snare drums are usually for me it's like all of a sudden just something's not right it's it's almost like a sixth sense like something's not right maybe the then usually almost every time when i take the batter head out it's divoted it's just worn out it's just dead uh funny i i I bought a, a set of Slingerland 65 or 64 I think it was 64 Slingerlands from a guy who they hadn't been touched since the 60s like his wow. his uncle went away to Vietnam and left his drum set after he had just got it and then never played it again Oh wow! so I got it like all the original parts all the original heads and I took it home and it sounded amazing the first thing I did was change the heads and it oh. all of a sudden sounded like poop <laughs> so I had to go back and Put, I mean, now now I have the original resonant heads back on it. The drums just would not sound right without the original batter heads on it. I mean, the bottom really? heads on it. Original really? bass drum head, I kept the original bass drum head on it. The batter heads ended up changing because they were, they were really getting kind of dented up. Sure. But the, they needed the original bottom head. And just wow. something about that. And, the, and it was do that, you still have that kit? Yeah. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, awesome. it's the same kit that... It's not the exact same kit, but it's the same model that John Bonham used on Led Zeppelin One. A Slingerland oh, kit, wow. thirteen, sixteen, twenty-two inch bass drum. Really, exact same. He didn't use the big kit on the first Zeppelin record. Okay, he used a Slingerland, oh, so cool. like a standard Slingerland kit, and it's a blue sparkle. Yeah, it's, that's it's, awesome. It's man. beautiful. It was my dream kit, and I just found that's it in so New cool. Jersey. Some dude was moving. He had to sell it. I got a good price on it. <laughs> it's Bam. my baby. That's so cool, man. Well, there you go, guys. So if you have questions about gear, you can always hit us up. Just make sure you tag um, myself and Modern Drummer. I believe on Twitter, I'm at Mike's Lessons, and I would assume you guys are at Modern Drummer. It might be Modern underscore Drummer, but you can Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. So just tag us and and throw your questions out, and we'll try to make them into the podcast. All right, now let's get into a featured artist. So this is a guy that I have known about for you know, seems like forever, but I just got a chance to do a clinic with him last year in, uh, in the Dominican Republic. That was also my first clinic with, um, Mark Juliana. And this is Zach Danziger. And when I got back from the clinic, I remember calling you and just telling you like, dude, I just saw this guy. His (laughs) name is Zach. And then you gave me a huge history lesson on Zach and his past, which I didn't know anything about. To be honest, I only knew his name, but I didn't really know, much about him but after seeing him i was just blown away and and i i realized there was just a total different stratosphere of of care for for what he does and what what he's pushing forward so you guys did a whole kind of feature on on him um and who was the other guy featured uh oh man killer drummer travis orban 
Travis Orban, yeah. So we'll talk maybe about Travis next week or the week after that. But in this one, you know, you talked about how he's kind of pushing the technology side of things and marrying the acoustic drums with the electric drums and the samples forward. So give us a little backstory on Zach and what you know about him. Um, well, I think a lot of people who've been following Modern Drummers since the early 90s will remember he was he was in Wayne Krantz's, like first trio back in the early 90s. And he it was kind of... Uh, Every, I mean, he, I know he hates it, but everyone kind of thought he was the next Dave Weckl, like like mega drummer, super chops, fusion, modern fusion guy. And it all kind of stemmed from, I think he did two records with the Wayne Kranz trio. And he was young. This was the early 90s, so he was probably 20, 21 years old at the time. Uh, and he he just decided that he didn't want to be that guy. So he just stepped out of that scene and, and became highly immersed in the electronica world. So he he and Jojo Mayer were actually in New York City at the same time exploring the same stuff, the early drum and bass stuff. And, and Zach designed the, uh, the Zildjian remix line back in the day. Those were his design to, to replicate the drum and bass sounds and stuff. And he had a group back then that was kind of like a comedy slash live music thing called Boomish. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's just – he's always pushing the envelope and, and – I love him because I feel like he's he's got a certain attitude where like if once you figure out what I'm doing I'm going to change it. He's right. just always pushing and always trying to go to the next level. So where he's at now, he also helped design the Yamaha multi uh, multi twelve pad, the GTX multi twelve. Yep. Yeah, he's part of that. He he helped design the Zildjian Karope line that just came out. I mean, he, he's been nonstop and. And every time I see him, he's always asking, like, "Who? I mean, this is what I want to do. Who should I talk to? I mean, what? I had this electronic idea. I'm like, Zach, I don't think anybody can do that right now. <laughs> like, you're not <laughs> give the give the world a chance to catch up. So he's what he's doing now. If I if if I understand correctly, is he is in real time triggering audio, like manipulating sequencers and and effects in real time, no click track or none of that." From his drums with triggers, and he's also triggering like video. So he's he is. controlling. This is video. what he did in the Dominican Republic when we were with him. Um, he had a bass player on stage with him, but yeah, he was showing the crowd. I felt bad for him because he was trying to explain the most complicated concepts ever in drumming with electronics to a crowd that didn't speak English. Yeah, um, with a translator. Yeah. But you know, Mark and I were in the crowd just soaking it in, and. Yeah, he was showing that by how hard he hits the cymbal, not only is he changing the pitch of the sample, but he's also changing the amount of reverb, the amount of decay. I mean, he's changing the effects yeah. by where he hits, you know, because he's got um, triggers on his cymbals and on his drums. And it, w- it was really remarkable how much, you know, because you, if you just saw him and you had no idea what was going on, you would just think, oh, he's a really good drummer playing to a track. Yeah. And I think it's very important for him to be able to give clinics so he can show you, no, I'm actually creating all of this right now. Every ounce of music, every sound you hear, I'm controlling all of it. I'm not playing to a track, which yeah. was just, it just I mean, because I because he played first. He didn't explain it. He just played. And I was like, man, what a cool track. It was yeah. so custom built for every note he played. <laughs> and, then, and then it was over and I realized, oh, he actually made all of that on the spot, which was just incredible, man. Yeah, his group. Test Kitchen is where he uh, kind of explores all this stuff, and they they play maybe once a month or twice a month at Rockwood Music Hall in New York City. But if you ch- if you check out his Facebook page, he usually puts up little short snippets of the stuff he's working on, and it's I find it completely inspiring. It just makes me want to be better because here's a guy. I mean, his career is ridiculous. Just as a I mean, he he composes soundtrack music. I think he composed the Chipmunks movie soundtrack. I don't doubt it. I know. I, th- I think he was also involved in maybe Ocean's Thirteen or Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, he played drums on all that stuff, which are some of the coolest drumming on the movie soundtrack I've ever heard. Well, yeah, and you can't tell. Like, wait, is this from the seventies or is this from now? I yeah. mean, it's 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 recorded like it's modern drumming, but it's played, and the tone of the drums are like it's from the seventies, and it's it's like yeah. I, I don't even know what I'm hearing here. It's so it, it actually defined the feel of that movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so then also his other band, Mr. Barrington, is kind of like his fusion group. Uh, that It's another interesting one. I mean, he's he, he almost doesn't want you to like his stuff. Like, he goes, he goes takes it so far, you're like, is he, is he trying to 
piss me off with this music. I, I, <laughs> I have no doubt that he probably gets along very well with Mike Patton. Yeah, yeah. No more, you know? Yeah, he's just always pushing you. To like, like It's groove music, but at the same time, it's just it just jolts you in weird ways. Right. <laughs> as, as soon as you're happy with it, it's like, sorry, we got to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you seem to be enjoying yourself and nodding your head in time. We are leaving. It's it's super fresh. So he's he's definitely cool. one of my favorite drummers. I know Mark Giuliano spent a lot of time studying him, and 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 JoJo would say that they were they were contemporaries. So it's all that's awesome. You know, he's great. We well, definitely, to, guys, check out Zach because it's it's Danziger D A N Z I G E R, uh, and Zach is with an H Z A C H. So check him out because he's an interesting cat. We got to spend two days together in the Dominican Republic, and he couldn't have been nicer. He was such a sweet guy definitely and i mean this in the best possible complimentary way definitely an artist on every level um as a musician and as a person and it was really cool just to be in his presence and soak in some of that because uh, i'm definitely not an artist i'm a i'm definitely an average joe and he was he was he was something to marvel at and then i got home and called mike immediately i was like have you heard of this guy zach Hansiger? and mike's like let me take you back to 1994 I was right. like, wait that's when i graduated and him and i are the same age what, what do you mean he was making waves in the industry so uh good stuff very good stuff all right well let's get into some gear review our favorite part i'm gonna let you pronounce these symbols because there's just a ton of uh consonants on my screen and i don't want to try it yeah the company is a media it's a turkish made company but it has a usa office as well they're actually here in new jersey amadia symbols and the line that i checked out is the comagene series which is named after uh like uh, an ancient civilization in turkey so comagene with a k c-o-m-m-a-g-e-n-e series so they're they're dark finished symbols they look like they've been shoe polished sort of and pretty heavily hand hammered and i discovered them uh at the NAM show, I, I try to get around like early in the day or just kind of in, incognito, go into all the booths and just hit stuff before I talk to anybody, just to kind of see what they're what they got going on before I get wrapped up in conversation. Um, and I just kept walking by this ride symbol, this 22 inch ride symbol, and just tapping it. And every time I was like, "Oh, that sounds nice." And I come back a half hour later, like, "Let me hit that again." Oh, that sounds really nice. I go play some other stuff. So by the end of the weekend, I was just standing there just playing it. Like, really? Yeah, I just kept playing and playing. And finally, Dominic, the owner of Amita USA, came over because you like that symbol, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I like this symbol. Like, send it to me. Let me review it. So he sent me the ride first. Okay. And then I was at the Chicago Drum Show this past year, I believe, in May. And he had the same series, but he had the flat. Oh, so okay. I, it was the same thing. I walked by, and his their booth was right like on the way to the concession area. So whenever I would leave the exhibit hall to go to the bathroom or whatever, I'd go right by his booth, and there would be that flat symbol, and I hit it. I was like, Dominic, if that symbol doesn't get sold this weekend, send it to me, and I want to review it with the other rides. So he finally did, and then then I was like, you know what? I need a whole set, so let's get 15-inch hi-hats and 18-inch crash, and I'll do the whole thing as a set. Nice. So they're... They're not super thin and trashy kind of jazzy things, but they are dark. They are hand-hammered. Um, the hi-hats are a little bit thicker than, like, the Karopes by Zildjian. Okay. And the 18-inch crash is definitely a little bit firmer than, like, a Constantinople or something like that. So it's it's that was actually good because you can you can hit it pretty hard and not have it, like, just annihilate everybody. Cool, man. Um, so the Hyatt's and then the and the crash were kind of a little bit thicker. They they were made separately, so maybe they were made with just a different batch of of bronze that was a little bit firmer. But the flat and the twenty two inch ride are softer and and more you know, kind of more of a jazz vein. Um, they're great symbols. I use I, I use the twenty two with my band for every gig. Um, yeah, they're B. I believe they're B twenty. Yeah, I mean these are professional level symbols. The the list price on the ride is like 620 so that's gonna it's gonna be around a 400 hundred dollar ride symbol after you know whatever dealer you're getting it through takes off their takes their discount um list price 550 for the hi-hats um so you know professional level symbols this is and by the way guys it always freaks everyone out when they hear list price <clears throat> numbers the numbers are inflated usually a general a store on an A or on a B mark item, usually symbols or B mark items, um, a store is usually going to take anywhere between 25 to 35% off right off the top. That's just going to be their normal price. So there's the list price, 
um, the manufacturer's list price, and then your store is going to take a percentage off of that. So when you hear 620 for the ride, just know that that's a media's list price, and then the store will discount it somewhere between 25 and 35 percent. So it's going to bring it down to the same price as probably a Zildjian Karope or a nice, you know, Minel Byzance 20 inch ride. So. Yep. Yeah, I put them in that in that vein. They're they're more like a Karope than they are like a regular K. Okay. Nice. Nice. Well, let's uh, let's give them a listen. Right, so now after hearing that, I have to ask you one quick question. Since you know, I do the intros for this thing, drumming wise, and you always do the product review stuff because you have it there. Do you, when you're doing the product review stuff for either for moderndrummer.com or even for this podcast, do you ever get nervous about the drumming, or do mm. you just really focus on the product? I mean, because you have to be human, right? You know that thousands of drummers are going to listen to your playing on this stuff. Yeah, it, it is. It's a bit of a, a head game where I I don't want to. I mean, some people would say, oh, it's my chance to really play a lot of drums, but that's not the point. The point is to kind of show the gear in its natural habitat. Uh, so like a jazz series cymbal like these, I'm going to play more of a jazz sound. I'm not, I'm just going to, and I'm going to focus mainly on the cymbals and, and incorporate the kits slightly. And the mix is going to also be more overhead heavy. Uh, for gotcha. a snare drum, I'm, I mean, just knowing that 99.9% of drummers out there play backbeat-oriented music, I'm going to show what it sounds like with with strong rim shots because that's how we hear drums most of the time and then right. do some other stuff. So, yeah, I almost always have a click track going just so the safety net of, okay, don't speed up, don't slow down. <laughs> you know, right. I don't want to. I, yeah, wanna, I, I do that on our intros too. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's usually there. Actually, lately I've, I've felt a little more confident to not have to do that. But, yeah, I mean, every single time I, I end up doing two or three takes just so I know that I've got enough to work with um and it's it's when you listen to drums by themselves i mean if you soloed john bonham's drums you would hear all kinds of little funky things that you're like oh maybe they would they should have redid that right so every time i'm like i, I know people are going to hear all this dude like it's like a bass drum stuff that drives me nuts like if any kind of sonic or slight spacing inconsistency i just like redo it gotta redo it Right, right, right. Well, you do a great job, man. I mean, I, I, I use, you know, our friendship aside and my relationship with MD aside, I use a lot of your reviews just as my chance to gain more sonic information from my students so that I mm. can, when, when they say, hey, what do you think about the Tama this? It's like, ah, let me go check out Modern Drummer's review on it because I know there will be audio, I know there will be video, and I know how Mike mics his kit, so I know it's not sweetened. It's it's very honest. And so I think you do a great job. I was just I just know that it's funny, like, you know, when I do uh stuff for mysymbol.com, I'll go there and film like forty videos and the symbols are the star. I'm not the star. Yeah. So there's really no pressure and the drumming flows out of me like it's nothing. And then when I do the intros for these podcasts, <laughs> you have no idea how long it takes. Because I'm like, everyone's gonna rip this groove to pieces. How do you play something that's interesting enough to be an intro for a podcast? 
but isn't a drum solo because I have yeah. to talk over it in the intro. So I was just wondering if you went through any of the similar kind of, yeah, all right, get out of my time. own head, just play the drums. Oh. Yeah, it's the worst, dude. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm with you, buddy. All right, let's get to our picks of the week. Uh, so I'll go first. My pick of the week this time is, uh, I don't know what it's even called, and I should have looked it up on like sportsauthority.com. I have it written down here as old school handsprings. But what I'm talking about is, those little handsprings that little that weightlifters would use back in the day to kind of look like they're buff fitness guys. They just walk around squeezing oh, the, the spring. Grippers. grippers. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not talking about that one that guitarists use for the individual fingers, but yeah. just the old school handsprings. Well, as somebody that travels a lot and then has to play on a moment's notice, like when you do clinics, there's no warm up. You wait all day long and then at some point you're on stage. So my hands just they just get like kind of weak I guess like when I make a fist I, I have no strength in my hands it's weird like if I don't you know I don't know how to say it but my the muscles in my hands are not properly warmed up and it makes it really hard to just walk out on stage and always unlike a band we don't have an opening song as clinicians you walk out and you solo and people are judging you right off the bat so I, I just have one of those old school hand grippers with the springs and, and you can change the tension and when I'm on the f- flight I'm just kind of gripping it. It doesn't make any noise, you know. I mean, you look a little cheesy. You look like, you know, he should have a protein shake in the other hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it keeps my hands warm. And then when when I show up and people are like, oh, will you try out my ride cymbal real quick? It's like your hands are warm. You, know, you don't have to warm up on a pad. So, they, you know, you can go to Sports Authority. They cost about, you know, four or five bucks. Um, I, I should probably just get – they have they have different kinds, like, you know, like almost like racquetballs that you can just kind of squeeze. Yeah. Um but and there's always this image in my mind, which I think is a complete and total lie. But there's this image in my mind of Buddy Rich just crushing walnuts in his hands, <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I'm thinking. Like, because I, I I read a quote somewhere where somebody's like, "How often do you practice?" And he was like, "I never practice. I just crush walnuts with my hands." <laughs> and so that's like in my head. I'm like, "Yeah, buddy, I got your back, brother." That's I don't practice either. But anyways, what's what's great is it really does keep my hands warm. It actually strengthens my hands quite a bit. And then when I hold sticks for the first time at the clinic or if you're a gigging drummer at the gig, you're kind of already pre-warmed up on a muscular level. So Cool. I mean, that, that's speaking of drummer miss, you've heard the one about Billy Cobham uh, drumming a quarter against the wall? Yes, I yeah. have. Have you ever tried that? No. I mean, he, I it must have been another one of these like completely taken out of context. I don't know how you could possibly play a double stroke roll and keep a quarter on a wall unless you're just pushing into the quarter constantly. Yeah. No, it, no, I, that can't be real. And if it is real, I just want to see a video of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some guys drum pretty darn fast, and, I, and at some point, there's nothing touching that quarter, and then gravity takes over. There's always a millisecond where gravity's going to pull on that thing. How? Does the quarter get on the wall in the first place if you have two sticks in your hands? <laughs> How do you start this mythical dr- double stroke roll? Do you will the quarter into being on the wall? Come on. That's, yeah. It's just not possible. All right, what is your pick, sir? All right, so mine is a little bit more of a, uh, a tough pill to swallow, but you know the old joke, uh, who, who hangs out with musicians? Drummers? The drummers, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> my, my pick of this week is the, is the help alleviate that joke by um, drummers just notoriously bad with ear training they're they just can't hear pitches they can't hear intervals they can't hear chords um, which really kind of leaves you in the dark when you're when you're playing with other musicians you can't speak the language if your guitar says hey we go to the minor chord and the bridge and if you don't know what that sounds like because there's an emotional response to that that you should adjust in your playing when you get to that chord um so I'm a I'm a huge proponent of of all drummers, percussionists studying ear training, just basic ear training to to know all of your intervals, to know what a major chord sounds like and a minor chord sounds like. So if you have an iOS device, there's one called Relative Pitch, and all it is is it's just an interval trainer. Um, so it starts with unisons and major seconds, which they call tones, aka whole tone. So you get you get I think it's twenty. They just they just play the interval randomly twenty times. And you have to guess is it a, is it a unison or is it a whole tone? And if you get it one hundred percent, they add another interval. They do the minor second. If you get one hundred percent, they add an octave. You get one hundred percent, and up until that point, you're like, yeah, this is super easy. I can do this in my sleep. And then they start adding in the major third, and then they add in the minor third, and then all of a sudden <laughs> your cockiness kind of kind of dwindles a little bit. <laughs> And you can't you can't advance to the next level until you get a hundred percent. 
Oh, wow. So you have to get 100% and then they unlock another interval. Uh, even if you just do it for a couple minutes a day, you will all of a sudden start to hear things. And it will help you with your tuning. Because like I said, I tuned my snare drum the bottom head a perfect fourth above the batter head. Well, first of all, do you know what a perfect fourth is? Right. Do you know how to find one on a piano or a guitar? Or do you know how to sing it? So if you're just at a gig or, or don't have anything around and you just want to tune your drum... Can you make that interval happen? Can you tune your whole kit to, a, to some sort of a chord? In most cases, for me, it's it's a, a major or minor chord with the fifth on the floor tom. Do you understand what I'm saying right now? Like that's I, just, you know. I do not. So yeah, no. <laughs> so I, I would be like a, a, if I do a C on the floor tom, the rack tom will usually be an F, and then if I do a second rack tom, it'll be an A. So it's an F major chord, second inversion. Wow. But the interval is a perfect fourth between the floor tom and the rack tom, and then a major or a minor third between the two, the two rack toms. Dude, you know what's awesome is half of our audience right now is going, hell yeah. <laughs> and then the other half is like, huh? <laughs> and so it's like, that's awesome. By the way, that that's fantastic. Can you say the uh, app's name one more time? Uh, I think it's called just Relative Pitch Light is the free version okay. in the App Store. And I, when I had an Android device, there was an equally awesome one that was free for Android. I just don't remember Very what it cool. was called. Just look up ear training or or relative pitch. You'll find some free <laughs> stuff. So, Dude, I'm totally just thinking right now, take my advice and walk around the mall with a handspring <laughs> goofy workout device or take Mike's advice and just be in a room listening to pitch. Like, what you should be doing is strengthening your grip while testing your ears at the same time. Boom. Boom. So, Mike, you go get some stronger hands. I'm going to learn the difference between uh, a Mixolydian third and uh, I'm going to put the circle of fifths on my wall. I mean, I, I did. I was in school music my whole life. So it's more I mean, it's less about the, the terminology. It's more about hearing it. Like if you if right. you hear a minor third, you know, because what happens is when you practice this thing. Like at first you're like, wow, I can't tell the difference. But after you maybe ten minutes, these intervals are like completely whirled. It's like red and blue. A minor really? third is is blue, and a major third is red. There's no way you could ever mix them up. Oh, that's but cool. But the man. first time you do it, you're like, I don't know. Maybe it's a minor third. Maybe it's a major third. I can't tell. But it just starts to like become really clear after a while. That's fantastic, man. Well, we need to dive more into this stuff in the future for sure. Uh, by the way, I think we should, uh, you know, off air at some point in, in the near future, discuss what we're going to do for Nam since we'll both be together. Maybe we could do an episode of the podcast like in the lobby of the Marriott and just invite a bunch of people to sit down with us, and we'll all sit on the floor Indian style and rock the podcast as a family. That'd be cool. Let's do it. All right, cool, man. All right, buddy. We'll have a fantastic week, and I will speak to you next week. And uh, I'm going to go uh, learn my minor thirds and my major thirds, and you just go work on those hand, that hand strength. <laughs> All right. See ya. All right, later, buddy.